Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. Hit and run with Matt Spiegel, Sunday mornings on The Score. D-backs three, Los Angeles two, two outs, bottom 11. Bradley set, the one-two, swing and a miss, D-backs win! Archie Bradley glares into the L.A. dugout and points at Max Muncy and says, get out of here as the D-backs hang out and win 3-2. to two. I love it. Pitch. Jones to deep left, and that one is way out of here. Adam Jones onto the concourse in straightaway left has given the D-backs a 5-4 lead. Wow! Chief and set, and the pitch. Swinging a grounder to the right side, to his left, Ahmed. Glove spins, got him! Two outs. Nice play, Nick Ahmed. 2-2, two, two. swinging a drive to right, way back. Harper just gives it a look, and it is gone! Into the second deck. Cattell Marte goes back-to-back, and the D-backs lead 2 to nothing. Those play-by-play calls, the work of our next guest, sounded good right there. Mike Farron, who joins us on the Alpamani Ford Hotline, Alpamani Ford in Melrose Park. Mike Farron does pre and post for the D-backs and is the secondary play-by-play man for them and has done a lot of play-by-play in his life, right? Arizona Fall League, among other things, Mike? Yeah, a bunch of different things. Bowie Bay Sox was uh, the first time I was doing some pro baseball, so yeah, about been through a couple of different things, but it's fun. It's weird hearing uh, your highlight reel on the air, though. I still can't get used to that. That's I can't I can't listen to the sound of my own voice. I, yeah, my, I, my, I, my wife doesn't, so like, why should I? <laughs> I, I know the feeling. Um, I, I did one game, one game for the Cubs in spring training this year. First time ever getting a chance to play by play having done pre and post like 12 or 13 times or whatever, but they let me do play-by-play for a, a spring training game. And A, I was uh, terrified, especially in the sixth inning when the complete fleet of new players uh-huh. all came in. Oh, my God, was I in the weeds, dude. Um, but And then, you know, when other shows would subsequently play back my calls, I'm like, oh, my God, what is that? But but you, you should get over that by now, Farron. And he's going to be dead. Come on. No, no, no. I, just, I don't think I'll ever get over that. That's yeah. that's for sure. I do want to thank you, though. I appreciate coming on and being uh, Andy McCullough's opening act. Just remind him how fresh he is. <laughs> I, I was Boog's opening act on a on the uh, A's cast program earlier this week, and it's nice. good to see that I've downgraded to McCullough. 
Yeah, <laughs> that's it's pretty sad, isn't it? Tell him truth I said be, that. Tr- yeah, well, tr- truth be told, and I'll tell him this: 10 a.m. is really the premier spot. Okay, all yeah. right. So, so no, it is. It is. 11. I figure I've lost a lot of people by 11, Mike. Like they've started to move on with their day. I put the best at 10. That's true. Uh, that's kind of you to say. Checks in the mail. <laughs> so, um, all right. So, so Chase Field has opened themselves up or itself up, I should say, to Diamondbacks players. I think some of them are also using the spring facility. Big advantage to the D-backs in terms of having two facilities in in a relative proximity so they could use for when we do get um, spring training 2.0, as everybody's calling it, although I have better names that I'll I'll share along the way. But um, (laughs) it it seems like the Diamondbacks have an advantage here because Arizona is opening up and they've got that proximity. So how active are the players right now in terms of playing, working out, et cetera, to your knowledge? Well, I mean, it's just happened in the last two days. So I would say not very. I mean, they've been working on their own a lot, and they're not the only facility that's uh, open or set to open here. The Mariners are going to open up uh, their complex in Peoria for players, I believe, starting tomorrow. Um, and there are a couple other teams here. I don't think the A's are quite there yet, but I believe the Giants are beginning to do that as well. You know, the, the governor of Arizona, Doug Ducey, said about two weeks ago, uh, he basically welcomed all professional sports here. And it's just been a matter of getting the timing down, I think, with baseball and trying to figure out where the facilities are going to be. And since, and, and I'll add this as an aside, since most teams, it seems like, have a preference to be able to do some of spring training at their home parks in their home cities, um, you know, it probably is going to limit the number of people that are working out in Arizona. So in that sense, the Diamondbacks, I guess, do have an advantage in that players who live in the Valley year-round are able to hit one of two different facilities. And since they're going to space them out in small groups anyway, um, it gives them the opportunity to, to work out a couple of different places. And, um, you know, other than maybe stretching the training staff a little thin between the two spots, um, it should give them some, some, you know, a fairly good chance to be able to start getting some work in. Lots of players lingering in Arizona over these last couple of months. Mm-hmm. Ian Happ and Nico Horner among those uh, hoarded up together, and they were doing a podcast as well as working out together. But a lot of guys stayed out there. Um, I've wondered about some of them convening, playing catch, working out together. Have you heard tales of that kind of stuff, Mike? Yeah, I mean, there's, there's, a, there's so there's a fairly famous um, uh, condo complex in Scottsdale that has about half a dozen young players, and it's all guys that grew up in the Valley. So it's like Cody Bellinger and Cole Tucker of the Pirates and Scott Kingery from the Phillies. Um, and they're all, they all basically have been quarantining together because they all have these like one bedroom condos in the same place. So they, they, I mean, they, they have been, from what I understand, they've been very safe, but then they have been able to work a little bit together. I mean, it just kind of depends. You know, I talked to Daniel Hudson of the nationals a couple of weeks ago, Huddy was using a net in his backyard. Um, so they, he was using that to throw into. Um, there are other guys that maybe have been able to, you know, pay a JUCO catcher or something like that to stick around and come and catch bullpen sessions. Um, but every player I've talked to has said that they are taking precautions, as many precautions as they can when they do work out. Um, and some of them are, you know, just basically hitting at home off a tee in a cage. Um, Stephen Vogt's long toss partner is his wife, who is a, a big college basketball star, and he said that her arm's better than his now. So like. There's a lot. He's like, she stretched out to 120 faster than I was. So, um, so like, there, there's a lot of that, that that that's kind of gone on in little groups. But I don't think that that's just um, 
that's just an Arizona thing. I mean, that's the sense that I've gotten from players who uh, have been sheltering in Texas or in Florida or wherever they are is when they have an opportunity to be able to, to work with someone they do, but they've been trying to take as many safety precautions as possible. So the Arizona plan died in the media before it even got to the table, mm-hmm. you know, um, and perhaps by design, they got their loud reaction and said, okay, we'll need to do something else. Um, obviously the ridiculously hot days are an issue, but did you, Arizona man, Mike Farron, did you allow yourself to dream of that happening? The Cactus League divisions were fascinating and you could have, you could have seen anything and everything you wanted to see. You know, I, I actually, well, I, I don't know that we would have been allowed to go anywhere. I mean, I think there should be real That's limits on, on who's allowed That's into true. ballparks at all this year. So You're right. um, I actually think still from um, safety and health protocol standpoint, it probably was the one that made the the safest sense. If that, that you know, I mean, mm-hmm. it's basically what the NBA is trying to do, right? Their NBA right. is going to try and congregate everybody at, at Disney and, um, you know, do that over the course of a couple months. And I think that that would have been the case here. You know, there certainly are enough resorts that, um, you know, you could have put up, you know, however many thousands of people. But I also get to being detached from your family. And if your situation like some players are where their wives might be, you know, seven or eight months pregnant at this point, like you want to be there for the birth of your kid. So, like, you're not going to make your wife trips across the country to Arizona to have them born in a, ho- you know, in a ho- hospital yeah. and then live in a hotel for a couple of months. So, like, I get all the, the challenges to it, but um, I think, you know, because that was the first one that kind of the NIH and the CDC wrote off on, um, that it made some sense. But, you know, there are other logistical factors at play as people try to keep as close to some semblance of life as they, they can possible. And that's going to open them up to more risk, but it has to be risk that everyone is comfortable with. And I think from, you know, the perspective of you know, being able to be with your families, being able maybe to be where your long-term rentals are already set up, um, you know, from the television uh, standpoint, being able to shoot in places that you're comfortable in, in home, you know, major league parks versus uh, doing it in spring training stadiums, or, you know, like if they had had to go to old Packard stadium to play some of the games on the ASU campus, like there hasn't been a TV crew in there in like eight years. So like, I don't yeah. even know if the electricity works. So, you know, I mean, like, because ASU plays their home games at Phoenix Community now. So, like, there's there were a lot of there were a lot of challenges certainly to that plan. But I mean, I th- I think it's like you had to have all these different ideas that were out there because nobody knew what form any of this was going to take. And quite frankly, we still don't know. You know, like we feel like we have better information certainly than when the season shut down ten weeks ago. But do we know all the answers? Not really. And we're doing our best to kind of thread a needle. In, in anything, whether that's, you know, going to the grocery store or choosing to hang out with friends in the backyard or, or playing baseball games. Yeah, no, it's absolutely true. I, we're all amateur epidemiologists uh, these right. days. Um, although McCullough, I think, took it to a new level with his piece this week on The Athletic. I'll ask him at 10. He and Mark Carrig, I think, are are basically now fully licensed to tell us what to do. So uh, I'll be asking scary. that. Yeah. <laughs> yes, it is. Mike Farron is our guest here on Hit and Run on 670 The Score. Um, from Lake Forest, right? Mike? Yep. Born and raised. Okay. Born and raised in Lake Forest. You were at WGN from 2001 to 2007. Is that right? Yeah. Fall of 2000. I got there. Yeah. Fall of 2000. Okay. So 2003, fairly memorable <laughs> NLCS and ALCS yeah. for that matter. Um, at the time I was a, uh, a host at Sporting News Radio. I was producing Sound Opinions. 
and I was in the right field bleachers for Game 7 when Kerry Wood hit that home run to tie the game, I thought the building was going to crumble. That was, it's been talked about as we've all kind of been delving back into the past as one of the loudest events ever at Wrigley. Wondering what your experience was. Were you working for the station during during that and the Bartman thing? And like what your personal experience was for 2003? Yeah, I was actually so I was the studio producer for for you know, Cubs Free and Post and and for um, the Sports Central at that point. And because it was a postseason, it was getting close to the World Series. I was the one who was sticking around the station to cut the highlights. Mm-hmm. So the the radio highlight of of Pat Hughes and Steve Stone <laughs> that you hear of the Bartman play, I was the one who edited that. So I like I watched that horror unfold in front of you know like in in. You know, at that point, that radio station was so tied to the Cubs and had been for, what, four or five generations at that point that, like, the, the there were very few Sox fans that worked there then. I think it's probably a little different now. Um, so <laughs> the, the dread that came through um, in every waking moment was you could feel it. It was palpable in the hallways. And, um, yeah, that was a really – interesting couple of days i think between game six and game seven and and cutting those highlights and um you know just being like basically i was alone by myself in the sports office there um you know texting with people uh when it seemed like there was excitement that the cubs would go to the world series and then uh after that uh, not so much (laughs) wow wow that's amazing so you were the guy i've been that guy um who had been the producer for me that was during the jordan um the second three-peat um, uh-huh. I was I was the guy who didn't get to travel with McNeil and Boers when they went out to Utah uh-huh. every time. I was the guy back at the shop when they would talk about, you know, uh, having drinks with Dan Patrick and, uh, and and other guys on the streets while, you know, between games and stuff. I, I, I didn't get to go. So that feeling is brutal. But there's also a feeling of closeness to it when you're the one hitting the buttons, you're hearing the stuff come out of the radio. And as you say, the dread in the hallways for GN, yeah. even before even before game six happened, was that dread part of it? No, 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 no. I think there was still a sense of optimism. I mean, I think certainly it was more optimistic going into game five um, before Josh Beckett shoved. Um, but I think there was still this feeling. It's like, hey, they're coming home, you know, prior and Wood lined up. Like things are going, things are going to be just fine. And yeah. I, I mean, I think it was excitement. I mean, I was texting with people at the game when there were, you know, five outs to go. And yeah, there was a lot of joy, but it turned really fast. And, and, you know, the challenge in that, too, is that, like, okay, so you're obviously invested in what your radio station's product is. And so you're, you know, locked in on, on wanting to have, you know, the successes because you know what a World Series would mean and, you know, all of those things. But on top of it, like, you also have to be kind of professional about the job that you're doing. And you're capturing a moment in history that, mm-hmm. that you know, you want to be you want to be mindful of the fact that that's, you know, that's something that is going to be talked about. You know almost immediately that that's something that's going to be talked about ad nauseum. And so all of those moments from from that to the, the you know, Alex Gonzalez misplaying the ground ball to, uh, the, I think it was, was it Mike Mordecai who tripled off of Farnsworth or whatever, like all those moments, like trying to capture them in as, you know, clear cut and as, as you know, neutral a manner as you could was, um, challenging while you're also like basically listening to people wail in the newsroom. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's well said. You paint the picture. Yeah, there is, there is a reverence for the game and the history that you get to be a part of. 
um, really for, for, for any game that ends up impacting, hopefully, the quality of your work as you do it, yeah. right? So. Yeah, yeah, definitely. But I got my, you know, I got my distance two years later, I got to cover the White Sox, like, on the road for their whole run, and that was awesome. So, like, that was a lot of fun, and that was really cool to be, to be a part of that and watch what was, you know, I think one of the most unheralded dominant postseason performances of the last 20 years. I mean, they, they lost one damn game in the postseason. And, yeah. like, it never gets targeted. Like, even that night after they won, I remember being in a hotel room in Houston, and the lead baseball story on the crawl was Joe Torre's returns as Yankee manager. And I'm like, you've got to be kidding me. Like, the White Sox <laughs> just ended an 88-year drought, and this is how you're going to handle it? Yeah. Really? No, that, like that was that to me was really irritating. Yeah, the the treatment of that and the many times that ESPN and others have forgotten them in graphic yeah. form, you know, it's um it has reinforced some uh, some insecurities that that were there for for whatever <laughs> reasons. I mean, right, my right. god. It, it's just it, it's unfortunate. I mean, you're talking about uh, you know, teams that went wire to wire and won the World Series. I think it's the 27 Yankees, the 84 Tigers, and those 2005 White Sox. I think that's it, you know, and Mike. The other thing about that, like, so that season was fascinating because they had at one point, I think it was close to a 15-game lead. Yep. But remember, the lead was down to, I think, a game and a half on the last Sunday, second to last Sunday of the season. And the Indians were charging. And Grady Sizemore misplayed a fly ball at, in Kansas City. Like the Indians, that totally took the wind out of their sails. The Sox have been struggling. The Sox went on a run. I think they won their last four regular season games and then, you know, swept into the playoffs, their last five regular season games and swept into the playoffs. And those playoff series were great. I mean, there were huge moments, you know, like Gucci's home run in game two was incredible. You know, like the, the well, obviously everybody remembers AJ stealing first. Like that was a big moment. But Canerco's yeah. grand slam, you know, like, that game had been like sleep delayed, and like that game was bonkers. I mean, Scott Podsednik hit two home runs in the postseason that year. He didn't hit any during the regular year. So like, yeah, 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 like man. watching and, and, and have, watching that unfold was incredible. Absolutely, um, El Duque getting out of bases loaded, nobody out against the Red Sox. Yeah, Boston. You know? Yeah, yeah. 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 Huge it's some incredible moments. And look, and and I've I've said it before. I was lucky enough to be in that press box for that game two in two thousand five. Um, uh-huh. And for for Podsednik's walk off and for the Canerco granny and like, but after the walk off, when everybody just stayed there and sung songs along with the um, the organist, it, 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 was it still Nancy at the time? I think. But, yeah, um, yeah, I think Nancy was still there. Yeah. Yeah, so she, Nancy Faust just cycled through song after song after song, like all the biggest hits in her in her lexicon. And no, nobody went anywhere. Nobody went anywhere at all. It was just, just absolutely awesome. All right, let me run these by you, Mike Farron. You ready? Yep, all set. Okay, spring training 2.0 is too easy. I've got what I've been rolling with is spring training two electric boogaloo. That's pretty okay, much I what like I've that. been going with. You like that? Um, spring okay. training, spring training strikes back. I've got that okay. option as a uh, as a sequel. And of course, spring training and the temple of doom. Your thoughts? <laughs> I think all of those are, are. I think we're on the right path there. I like Levi Weaver from the Athletics selected uh, or suggested two spring through training. I thought that was good um, in, in honor of the Fast and the Furious movie. So I, yeah, thought, yeah. I thought that one would work. But I think maybe yeah. we need to keep workshopping it. I feel like those probably resonate with our generation a little bit better than it does with the kids today. And so maybe we wow. need to find, you wow. know, maybe it's spring training to world tour, you know? <laughs> 
Well, that's that's if we're trying to hit the seven-year-olds right between the eyes. I mean, listen, you get them young, man. You know, like it's not like they're getting summer camp. By the way, (laughs) nice spring training games. Nice opportunity for for me to say that that movie, The Trolls Two World Tour, surprisingly resonated with me musically. Like, there's some really cool really? music stuff in there. Did you see it? No, I did not. We don't have kids, but we we did watch the first Trolls movie with friends of ours and they they uh, and their daughter, and and we were like, you know what, it wasn't so bad. So like, we were thinking maybe we would tune it in. You, you'd, you'd appreciate parts of it. Trolls 2 World Tour, like there are different um, music worlds. There's like the funk world and the country world and like Kelly oh, Clarkson. Nice. Kelly Clarkson is part of the country world. The funk world is George Clinton and Mary J. Blige, among others. Uh, it's like nice. they, they, they got some legit. They got some, oh, here's some coming in via text. I like this one. Spring training two. This time it's personal. <laughs> <laughs> This time it doesn't count. Uh, oh God! I, as long as we're on the music thing and and media, I don't know if you have you watched the. So there's a TV version of High Fidelity adapted from the book and movie yes. that Hulu is yes. running now, and yes. the show itself is just okay. I mean, there's some good. The side characters are really good, and um, you know Zoe Kravitz is all right as as Rob, and it's like she's fine. But Questlove did the music supervision, and like the music in it is way better than the movie. Like it is so good. The music. Music is worth watching it for. I could not agree more. I recommend. I actually brought it up last week on this show to Greg Cott, the longtime rock critic of the Tribune. Yeah. I know because he and I were working together when the movie came out. I think and this, uh, the musical references and and they grabbed a lot of the important songs from the movie and used them yeah. in newly relevant ways in the series, which was a beautiful nod. I thought. So, yes. Good stuff. Yeah, I thought it was. I thought that was really, really well done. Series is like. It's not like anybody's doing anything else. They're half-hour episodes, so watch it if you have to look. Um, all right, uh, Spring Training Awakening um, is not bad from a texture. And then this, this guy looked it up. 27 Yankees, the 55 Dodgers, 84 Tigers, 90 Reds, and 05 White Sox. That apparently is the list of Wire to Wire and Win the World Series. Pretty good. Wow. Yeah. Pretty good. Short list. All right. Um, what, what does your gut tell you about the chances of an agreement this week? Mike. Yeah, I mean, I think I think it kind of has to happen. I mean, I think they probably have a few days into June. Um, you know, Chuck Darfine this morning had an interesting note uh, in his article uh, uh, locally there in saying that he had heard that the players might be open to some form of salary deferral, which would ensure that they get their their full share of the money. Um, and but it, it probably gets spread out. Um, you know, obviously we're talking about billionaires and millionaires here. Uh, right. Most billionaires don't have the Scrooge McDuck ponds that they can dive into. And so, um, you know, especially I think it, it shows up locally with like the Cubs, that like they have a lot of money invested in the area around the ballpark right now. I can't imagine that they're particularly liquid, right? So, so like, I think that those are all things that have to factor into this discussion. But I'm pretty optimistic that they get a deal done. It seemed like they had good back and forth on the health protocol. I'm not surprised. I think if they, they realize well, how disastrous it, it would be to have, you know, economics crush the, this season in the middle of a pandemic and then go 18 months without baseball with, you know, another labor dispute hanging over at the end of 2021. So, like, I think I think something ends up getting done within the next, you know, week to 10 days, and then we try and get a season going if the virus lets us. That would be beautiful. Mike Farron, thanks so much for the time. Had a great time. Thank you. Anytime, Matt. Take care. You got it. It's Mike Farron, Diamondbacks pre and post.
and host of the Midday Show, uh, Power Alley, I believe it's called, on MLB Radio on Sirius. Um, I'll give you some of those details uh, that he's referring to from Chuck Garfine's article. I'll also share with you, as I mentioned, a Cub and a White Sox player both doing some good right now. And you'll hear from John Lester this hour on 670 The Score. Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage, to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is here to help you grow, whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits. Shopify helps you sell everywhere, from their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify has got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 15% better on average compared to other other leading commerce platforms. And sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning 24-7 help is there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash odyssey podcast all lowercase go to shopify.com slash odyssey podcast now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in shopify.com slash odyssey podcast change happens at the speed of trust that is doug glanville last week with a line that kind of stuck with all of us Change happens at the speed of trust. And these sides, uh, the MLB owners um, and the Players Association have a long, long history of mistrust. But as our last guest, Mike Farron said, the feeling around the game is that this this needs to happen. These guys need to come to an agreement. Um, You'll hear John Lester uh, talk about that in a few minutes here on The Score. Top of the hour, Andy McCullough from The Athletic will join us and we'll talk about some of the safety protocols and among other things that have, um, that have been part of, uh, of the discussions over the last couple of weeks that he and his colleague Mark Carrig looked into with the help of some experts, some very interesting stuff in there. Um, but Mike Farron mentioned this piece from Chuck Garfine on NBCSports.com this morning. Will there be baseball in 2020? It says behind the scenes, both MLB and the MLBPA are prepared to amend, if slightly, their previously reported stances in their ongoing financial dispute in an effort to come together and open the door to a shortened 2020 season. According to a source with knowledge of the situation, the league will make a proposal to the Players Union Tuesday that will be a compromise from the 50-50 revenue sharing split that had been floated earlier this month. This could serve as a starting point in negotiations from MLB's side. Let me pause reading there and mention what our own Bruce Levine had uh, said yesterday on Inside the Clubhouse, that MLB was going to offer something where they gave um, 
a pile of, of revenue to the association and then let the association decide how to divvy it up. So I'm not sure how that dovetails with what Chuck is reporting here, but I'm sure we'll hear more as the days and weeks go on. Continuing with the Garfine piece. Meanwhile, the union is expected to propose a plan that allows players to receive their prorated salaries based on the number of games played, which was part of an agreement between the two sides finalized March 26th, but a certain amount of money would be deferred to future years to help reduce the owner's expenses for the 2020 season. All right, so is that enough? If the players don't say, all right, we'll take a little less because there are no fans, but they say, we will defer some to future years to help your expenses. They will push the football down the road. Did I mix two metaphors there? Push the car down the road? Push the football down the field? I don't know. Um, But they will push it down the road. I don't know if that'll be enough. Those might be the starting points, though. And if those are your starting points where you've got both sides saying, okay, uh, let's figure something out, that's a good note on which to start as opposed to where they have been. I told you I wanted to mention um, what a couple of players are doing. Maybe you read this. It happened about a week ago. Eloy Jimenez of the Sox helping a troubled neighborhood, which is very close to where I sit and broadcast to you right now in a show of gratitude to a local bridal shop in Little Village. Just uh, west of Pilsen is Little Village. The bridal shop is called Novias Davia. Jimenez donated official socks, uniforms, and money to the bridal shop because they've been making face masks needed for the community. That area of Little Village has had the most confirmed coronavirus cases of any single zip code in the state of Illinois. That's as of the 6th of May. And Jimenez asked that the face masks um, that he's donating to help provide are donated to first responders in the neighborhood. Jimenez um, sent a, a video message to them. And the shop owner got that video message thanking her team for their commitment to the community. And Eloy gave each of seven workers a $500 Jewel Osco gift card and $500 in cash to provide support during this time. That's a beautiful gesture from Eloy um, to a specific neighborhood in this town. And the White Sox uh, worked with him, donated the team uniforms as fabric for the masks. Um, so good, good, good on, on Eloy. And then Jeremy Jeffress is a Cub that I wish we were getting a chance to know. Um, I wanted to speak with him when we were out there for spring training, and hopefully we'll get a chance to this year. But the former Milwaukee Brewer, longtime Brewer, most of his career with the Brewers, I didn't know this. He's got a food truck. He's got his own food truck business. He has a passion to cook and sell seafood. And this week... He cooked and served 70 doctors and nurses at the Banner Health Medical Center in Phoenix. That is the hospital that treated him for epilepsy in 2013. I've heard from a lot of people that Jeremy Jeffress is a very, very good dude. So this fits in nicely. Um, The food truck business, he uh, donated 70 individual plates that included a fish filet for jumbo shrimp. Hey, the second mention of jumbo shrimp on this show scallops and a couple of sides including his own macaroni and cheese that he makes let's go he spent three hours serving and conversing with the hospital employees he wants to bring that food truck to wrigleyville yes gallagher way baby jeremy jeffress scallops mac and cheese fish tacos yes i'm in there's pineapple shrimp lemon shrimp coconut shrimp 
pepper shrimp. Man, I would, frankly, I'd rather support Jeremy Jeffries' seafood truck than I would the namesake business of, of that particular character as just played by Sean Anderson. It is 670 The Score. I'm Matt Spiegler with you. This is Hit and Run. Top of the hour, Andy McCullough. About an hour from now, our guy Chris Kampka ties the room together. Um, after I am done, it is Zach Zaidman and Mark Grody, and they've got an awesome show. Uh, coming up after me. So you should go nowhere. Uh, Zaidman and Grody, Boog Shambi is on with them at 1220. Boog has been calling the Korean League games. Kyle Long, the former Bear Kyle Long, is on today at 1 o'clock. The former Bear Patrick Manley, who's too good to appear on this show, will appear on their show at 2 o'clock. And also Dave Corzine and Bob Sakamoto at 3 o'clock with Zach Zaidman and Mark Grody. So check out that as we all continue to broadcast live from the Hyundai studios brought to you by your local Hyundai dealers. We'll come back on the score and you'll hear from John Lester, who was on the score yesterday on Inside the Clubhouse. It's very, very good. If you missed it, don't. Next. Here comes the one-two. Swing and a miss. Strike three. Lester strikes out Encarnacion. The White Sox made some noise with a couple of base hits, but three straight strikeouts, and Lester finishes a clean top of the first. Oh, I remember that. That's Cubs and Sox from March of this year when we all thought it was going to happen. It's Matt Spiegel here with you on Hit and Run. Right here on 670 The Score yesterday and inside the clubhouse, that pitcher, John Lester, joined us. And Bruce Levine asked John, what can you believe, what can we believe about what we hear about the negotiations going on right now? Well, I think the biggest thing, and I mean, I'm guilty of it just like everybody else, is you can't believe everything that's put out there. Um, You know, I mean, a couple weeks ago, we had stuff being leaked that wasn't even presented to the players yet. So... There's there's just a lot of stuff. I think people have a lot of time, obviously, on their hands to, um, I, I don't want to say fabricate stories, but, you know, really try to dig and find things, uh, possible leaks and, and so forth. So I think the biggest thing is you can't you can't believe every little word that's written um, about either side. You know, I think either side right now has been has been great. You know, we're really trying to work towards an agreement uh, to get this thing going. I think everybody's main concern is, is the safety. You know, we, we the, the other stuff we can kind of figure out as we go. But, uh, you know, players and, and, and owners and all this stuff, doctors, everybody wants to be safe. So we don't want to rush into this thing and, and start risking, um, you know, health. So not only health based on, you know, the, this pandemic, but health, you know, physically for the player when it comes to, you know, shortened spring training uh, and, and trying to get revved up for a, for a season, you know, that fast. So uh, th- I think that's the main thing that players are focusing on, owners are focusing on is the health. And then, you know, obviously the, the other stuff will, will fall when uh, we can kind of figure out the testing and so forth. Hey, John, the 67-page document with all the safety protocols and how – baseball might do the testing and how it might look it was daunting um and it seemed extremely thorough wondering how that was received from your perspective if you thought mlb was looking out for for your safety as it went through that and and you personally as a as a cancer survivor how you're feeling about um you know the level of safety that that the game will be able to provide to you yeah i mean i think 
I think everybody's, like I said, everybody's main concern is safety. And anytime you get a group of people in a room or on a phone call or on a Zoom call or whatever it may be, you're going to have a million different opinions and a million different questions. So when that when that was laid in front of us, and then you, you hear all the information, you're immediately going to have questions. And sometimes you have the same question as another guy. You just word it differently. So it takes a while to get through this stuff. It's not just going to happen overnight. Um, but like, like I said, MLB, from the owner's side of it to the player's side of it, we're, we're, we're bending over backwards to try to get this, this health side of it figured out. Um, you know, that they're, they're, we have our own testing facility, um, so we're not taking anything away from the public as far as that. Um, so I think there's a lot of positives in it. I, it's just, like I said, you get you get all these players and all these owners on, on phone calls and, and stuff like that. You're going to have a million different questions that people have to or want to get answered in order to move forward. That's the voice of John Lester. This is Inside the Clubhouse with uh, Matt Spiegel and Bruce Levine. We're here for you every week, 52 weeks out of the year, talking baseball from 9 to 11. John, uh, what are the personal challenges of John Lester after going through one spring training and now the reality of another for three weeks, getting back to baseball at your age and uh, your experience without having left some things behind in the first spring training and moving forward to uh, the unknown of an 82-game season? Uh, I think I think the biggest challenge is the unknown. Um, you know, we've had some some phone calls with, you know, with Rossi and, and other players and, and, you know, our pitching coach, Tommy. Um, you know, and, that, and that's, that's really everybody's concern. But for me especially, I, I just don't – I don't want to get ramped up for an unknown date and, you know, kind of have to turn it back down. So it, it's a fine line of, of keeping the arm moving, playing some catch, doing some things, um, you know, not necessarily, you know, maybe getting off the mound right this second. Um, but I, I think you just, once we get this date, then you can kind of, you know, I've been doing enough stuff to, to be able to build and I feel like, you're just kind of, you know, mentally waiting for that date. And once that date hits, it's like, okay, now I go. Um, so that's been kind of the challenge is just is balancing the unknown of, you know, every year you work towards February 14th or February 18th or whatever it is for spring training. So you have that date, that end date in mind, you know, when you're working out in November or December and you're throwing in January, like, okay, I'm building towards this date. Um, you know, right now there's there's no date to build towards, so it's kind of, you know, that 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 unknown is is kind of throwing you off mentally. It's like you can't really get after it. You can't really prepare like you would for for normal normal spring training. You know, but that being said, when you get there, um, whatever that date may be, you know, I know, you know, our medical staff, our our coaching staff, we're all going to be erring on the side of caution to get guys ramped up. So. You know, we definitely don't want to be coming in first day and throwing to, you know, throwing an inning or two innings or whatever to hitters, and and now you're pushing yourself back where you, you possibly can't even play 81 games or 82 games. So um, there's just that fine line, and I think, like I said, the biggest thing is just the unknown. 
it, it, John, it's been so crazy to realize how unique and individual everybody's situation is in terms of what they can do to be ready. You know, we've talked to some pitchers who have a net in the backyard and some pitchers have a mound uh, in the backyard and some pitchers, some guys don't. You know, what's what's your setup at home? Do you have enough stuff to do anything you want to do? Do you have somebody who could catch you if you wanted to throw off the mound at, at, at full strength at some point? Yeah, I got a, I got a, uh, enough stuff um, downstairs in my house to take care of what I need to take care of and stay, stay where I need to stay as far as uh, strength-wise, you know, going into a spring training. So I've got that, you know, that benefit. Um, and I do have a, a kid that I've, I've thrown to probably the last, well, since I moved up to Atlanta, five years or so. Um, and he actually just took a job with uh, last year with the Dodgers as a bullpen catcher. So I got a, I got a catcher I can throw to and, and throw off the mound. And there's a local high school up here that we go and play catch in the football field and baseball field. So, um, you know, it, it, it's nice being down in Atlanta and having the weather and having the opportunity to get outside and, and still, you know, be safe, um, but also get your work done. John, uh, how can baseball better market baseball players? And I've been, you know, I, I worry about the sport. I worry about, uh, you know, the, the fact that other sports continue to market their players in a better fashion. I've heard from uh, people in ownership and uh, front offices saying that the arbitration system works against baseball because of the fact that uh, that can be used if a, a, a player is marketed to a high level on certain teams. What, what are some of your thoughts about how baseball can better sell itself uh, during games themselves and, and in general to make the players more interesting and also more, uh, more present in, in people's lives? Um, you know, Bruce, I don't know. You know, I think that's really an individual thing. Um, you know, I know it, it took me a long time to, to kind of let my guard down and let, let some people in and, and, do some different interviews and do some different things, allow people to come to the farm. You know, seven, eight years ago, I probably wouldn't have, have done that. Um, so I think it's an individual thing. I think now, too, there's so much social media, there's so much uh, of your own branding that, you know, guys are kind of doing it on their own. They don't need a baseball team to do that. They don't need the Chicago Cubs to do that for them. Um you know, and, and just like any any other sport, you know, you, you have you have the stars, you have the guys that that draw the attention of the camera for whatever reason, whether they be you know the, the better players of the team or just a, a you know a more personality type player, um, you know, whatever that may be. Like I said, I think it's an individual thing. I think anytime a team tries to do something, it come it comes across to the players as kind of forced, um, uncomfortable. You know, I think if you allow the player to, to be themselves and to kind of have their own ideas and then the team go along with them, I think you're going to get, you know, more of that, of what that player or that individual is actually like. Um, you know, I know they've started micing guys up during spring training games. You know, that that's a perfect time to do it because it is a little more relaxed. Uh, during a regular season, I don't think – you know, I know, I know for me on a personal level, if I'm pitching and I got, 
you know, player A over here on the on on a microphone talking to some analyst during a game, I don't really feel like he's focused in everything he needs to do in a regular season game. You see what I'm saying? Like so, there's like a fine line there of uh, of, of getting that involved. Um, you know, like I said, I think number one is the individual, is, is the, pl- the player, the person himself, and, and what he wants to do uh, to, to market himself, to, to brand himself in, in the game. I think that's wise. I think that the guys who are willing to share and are expressive should be encouraged, uh, as opposed to trying to drag everybody up to a, to a certain level. That, ma- that makes a lot of sense. What, what the game can control is is maybe a rule here or there to make the game more interesting. I I, I miss action, John. I don't I don't know about you, but I miss I miss balls in play um, as opposed to home runs or strikeouts. And do you think you think the game would be served by trying to find a way to tweak a couple of things to to give us uh, give us more action, more fielders moving around, more runners running around the bases? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I I think. <laughs> I think they kind of tried that with the new baseball um, that they won't admit that they put in play, um, and, and, then, and then that produced more home runs. So, you know, now you've got. I think their intentions were to do that, were to, to allow more balls in play, but then that turned into a driving range. Basically, they're out there. You know, guys are out there hitting title as pro B ones as opposed to, you know, right. I think a more fair ball. I think if you if you want more action. Then yeah, you can go somewhere in between where where we've been, you know, the the playoff ball of this year and then the regular season ball. Um, you know, I think right now in our era and what we're teaching, you're not going to result in more balls in play. You know, you you are in in the aspect of power. You know, um, you're going to result in more doubles, more home runs, uh, stuff like that, but. As far as choking up and putting the ball in play, you know, Bruce, you were talking about the arbitration process. These guys that get called up know what's getting them paid in arbitration, and it's not singles to the opposite field. Right. It's slug, it's OPS, it's home runs, it's, you know, it's all this stuff. So you've created, through this, you've created your own problem, basically, in baseball is, is guys started getting paid for these numbers, and now... You're, you're reaping or you're seeing the, I guess, the neg- negative side of it. Um, guys are stronger. They're throwing faster. Um, you know, you're preaching more spin rate. Uh, you're, you're preaching, uh, you know, not you're not you're not worried about location. You're just throwing the ball as hard as you can and spinning it as hard as you can. So that's that's a perfect that's a perfect storm for. Okay, if I make a mistake and a guy clips me, it's a homer. If if I don't, I just throw hard enough to where he swings and misses, and now I've got strikeouts, walks, home runs. You know, that's the game we're in right now. Uh, I think everything will loop back around. You know, I think owners are always looking for ways to, to cut costs, and, you know, they'll find a, a new metric that means more to them than OPS and, that'll change the player into something else. You know, the players are always evolving. The owners are always evolving. Um, so, like I said, I, I I think the game is a big ebbs and flows game, and I think right now we're, we're in one of these, um, I think it's fast of, of the game, and uh, I think everything will kind of loop back around, hopefully, next couple of years. John, uh, Matt and I really appreciate you joining us today, and all the best to you and your family. We hope we see you soon. My last question to you is this. 
when the first player does indeed test positive, how do you think uh, that will follow with the rest of the group? And do you concern yourself with your conversations with teammates and other people in the game as to how the reaction to that will uh, occur and how baseball will handle that? You know, I think that's kind of a lot of the conversations we're having right now. Um, you know, that's that that trust factor in our medical staff. You know, we I can speak for the Cubs. We've got a great medical staff that bends over backwards for us and does amazing work. And so if we are getting back and we are playing, you know, we, we need to have this open line of communication and talking to where if something like this does happen, you know, we need to be informed. I think that's really the big thing for players is we want information as well. You know, you can't just tell us to come back and play and expect us to just to turn turn our heads and go, okay, yeah, we'll play with this risk. So as long as we have the information and the doctors have a plan for something like this to happen, um, that makes everybody feel more comfortable. And then, you know, if, if it does, then we have this protocol in place to where – uh, you know, whatever that may be, quarantine, um, more testing, you know, I don't know. I mean, it's, it's, it's a long list of things that we can possibly do. Um, but like I said, that, that's, that's, a, that's a huge topic of conversation right now with, with both sides is, is trying to figure out the steps uh, of which, uh, that you know, kind of ha- how to handle this thing going forward. Um, everybody's ultimate goal, obviously, is to get back in, into play. And that's not only for the players and the owners, but for, but for the fans, more importantly, and for the country. I think we all need we all need to take our minds off of what's going on and, and, and get back to playing and having sports and trying to get a little bit back to, to normalcy if we can. So we're all striving to get there, and, and hopefully we can do that soon. Um, but, you know, just know that it's a process right now, and, and it may take a minute, but, but we're trying to get there. That's John Lester yesterday and inside the clubhouse. Great to hear him and uh, appreciated the chance to talk to him. Um, Preaching some calm um, and a little bit of patience in terms of the things that you read and saying uh, that both the players and the owners want to come to agreement. Let's uh, let's hope that is indeed the case for this week. Let's talk about a few things with Andy McCullough next from The Athletic. The safety and health protocols that MLB has going on and also what must be one of the most frustrating runs a truly great team has ever gone on. We'll do both with Andy McCullough next on Hit and Run right here on The Score. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com.